Next on sales is King. Jerry Acuff is one of the top three sales trainers and sales consultants in the world. And he's back for another interview on Sales as King. We're going to talk about how do you advance the sale? How do you drive virtual engagement? How do you compete in adversity? Next on Sales as King. Hey everybody, welcome back to Sales is King, Dan Sixsmith with you and very excited to have back on the program, Jerry Acuff. Jerry, welcome back. How have you been? It's been a couple of years. Yeah, we're, you know, business is good and uh, we're surviving this imprisonment. Uh, yeah, gosh, yeah. Lockdown at home, but, um, and you know, here at my house, we're having a contest for who can be most annoying and I am <laughs> the runaway winner. Uh, but it is interesting. I, I told, I told my wife, uh, who I adore, I said, you know, all kidding aside, you know, with all the travel that I ordinarily do, I've spent more time with my wife in the last four months than I know I have in the last two years. So, uh, but that's a good thing, but we're doing good. How about you? It is. Yeah, same. I mean, it's, there's been some good, you know, uh, coming out of this, just slowing things down a little bit, at least in yeah. terms of the travel. Spending some quality time with the family. My my one younger son is now back home with us. Uh, he lives in New York City, but um, you know we've had him home, which has been great. He works for Goldman Sachs, uh, so I'm getting uh, up to the minute tips on what's going on in the stock market, which is good. But uh, it's been uh, it's been interesting, and uh, you know business has shifted definitely, and so has selling. And I'd love to start out by asking you, you know. Um, how is selling changed uh, in this pandemic and how are you shifting how you go to market? Yeah, that's a great question. Uh, honestly, Dan, I think that it's shifted forever. Yeah. Uh, I think people that think that we're going to return to normal of selling are probably wrong. I think we'll have a percentage of customers. It may not be a big percentage, but I think we'll have a percentage that like the virtual interactions because it's less intrusive. Uh, and so I think that what we'll wind up with in the long term is a hybrid model. Now, what does that mean? That means that you'll do some in person, you'll do some virtual. Now, if that's the case, then the reality is salespeople have to be good at virtual selling just like they are in person selling. And sales leaders have to be great at teaching how to be good at virtual selling. And they have to be good at coaching virtually because, by the way, you know, before the pandemic, we probably still did a lot of coaching virtually. But I think the big difference is and we've done a bunch of workshops on this for our clients. Um, I think what people don't realize is that when you're, when you move to sort of a zoom or, you know, Microsoft teams or WebEx environment, and you're trying to contact your customers, um, people say, what's well, so different. I said, well, the truth is it's not that different. Uh, once you can actually get access to them, it's not different at all. <laughs> the challenge is most companies have not thought through a model for how do I contact them? And how do I get access to them? 
And so what we did early on, I thought, well, you know, if I'm one of the top three sales experts in the world by some website, which, you know, I'm not sure I believe it, but I put it on my website anyway. Why not? Yeah. Um, But I thought, well, you know, then I ought to be, I ought to learn about virtual selling. So I spent a week studying selling in adversity because that's fundamentally what we're doing here. And, you know, we came up with some, some real ideas that I think benefit people. And they're very simple ideas. I mean, number one, whenever you contact somebody virtually, you know, you don't say this is, you know, Dan Six Sixsmith with, you know, success is king. You know, you you, you say, look, you know, this is Dan. Uh, you know, first thing I want to do is to call and see how you and your loved one's doing. Mm-hmm. You start by by being caring. The one of the things that people want when we're when we're in adversity is they want to know that you actually care. Uh, etc. The other thing is I always say you and your loved ones, not you and your family, uh, because sometimes people don't have family. Sometimes, you know, so loved ones mm-hmm. do. And then the second thing I, I do is I teach people to ask the question, how how is this pandemic currently, keyword there is currently, because you can use that every month, currently affected the way you're working. And so, you know, it could be that we're shut down. It could be that we're only doing takeout. You know, if it's a restaurant, it could be that, you know, we're only seeing so many customers. If we're a car dealership, we're only letting so many people in the door. I mean, I want to understand, you know, that stuff there. And then then what I do is I I get people to understand that your value during this pandemic is your ability to be seen as a genuine resource to the client. Right. Now, you can't be a resource to the client if you're not talking to the people who are actually seeing customers. And so, so, so the way you, the way you do that is to say, look, you know, our intent during this whole pandemic is not to focus on our product, but to focus on what we can do as a resource to our clients. And so in order for me to find out what's the best way to be a resource, I actually need to talk to somebody who's actually seeing clients so I can figure out what does make the most sense for your organization and for and for your people of the resources that we have. Mm -hmm. And, and then when they transfer you to somebody, you start to process all over again. You ask them, you know, be, hey, look, first place, you know, uh, before I even even talk about, you know, the reason I called about us being a resource, you know, tell me how you and your loved ones are doing. And then, you know, uh, and I got a sense that this is how your business has changed. Is there anything you'd add to that? And then the third thing I would say is say, now that we've sort of got those things out of the way quickly, how much time can you devote to our conversation today and feel comfortable? One of the things that's really interesting when you study selling in adversity is that customers love the opportunity to say no. They love the opportunity to say no. So, for example, a lot of times when I call people, especially that I, that I don't know, I'll say, is now a good time? To, first thing I'll say, hey, it's Jerry, is now a good time to talk? Because the truth is, Dan, if it's not a good time to talk, then everything you say, they ain't hearing anyway. So it's true. Yeah. And so, um, but that has enabled us to get, but here's the other thing that's interesting. You know, we have this model we call KMR, which is knowledge, messaging, and relationships. And we think it's the fundamental uh, foundation upon which you build your success as a salesperson. One is knowledge. It's knowledge of your product, your 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 uh, competition, your customer, yourself. Messaging is how you say what you say, and then relationships obviously are, are you know play a role in anything. What what we find is that I mean I did a client one time, you know, in one of these where I studied their resources before I actually did the thing, and I asked this question. They had one resource where they had somebody who was 
who was um, giving a testimonial for the product, right? And it was five minutes, five minute tes- testimonial, and it was on their consumer website, not their regular website. And so when I asked these 55, 55 salespeople, okay, how long is that video where that testimonial is? Not one person could answer. And I said, let me, let me tell you why this is important. I said, if I am trying to get somebody to watch that video, what are the chances that I'm going to get somebody to watch that video if they say this? I want you to go to this website and watch this video. Or if they say, I want you to go watch this video, it's only five minutes. Which one of those is going to get me more views? Right. I said, you can't say that because you don't know it's five minutes. So you have to know your resources if you're going to be a resource. So mm-hmm. what I believe is that once you actually get people on the phone uh, or once you get them on a Zoom or you get them on a virtual room, if you have a great relationship with them, then nothing changes. You just go into your whatever you would do. If you don't have a relationship, you should try and really pr- provide some resources that would be meaningful to them. Um, and then I think the other thing that's really important we have to teach people about this environment is that, you know, there's three kinds of people that function virtually in selling. One, people who believe they're empathetic. And so by being empathetic, they don't contact you because they think you're too busy. Um, the second one is, uh, now the reality is, if, I, if you don't contact me in a three or four month period of time, I will not call that empathy. I'll call that apathy. I'll say, you don't damn about me. Right. Um, and I'll give you an example. We had a, we had a, a my, the president of my company, his uh, sister is a doctor. She got furloughed. And the day after she got furloughed, nine sales reps called her. And, and she told them, look, I'm furloughed. I don't know when I'm going to be back, but I'm furloughed. So three weeks later, three of those nine called her back. Two of them, once she told them again she was furloughed, hung up quickly. The other one stayed in touch with her every three weeks until she was not furloughed. Now, who do you think is the favorite child now? Yeah. And so the second one is people who are obnoxious. Because mm-hmm. some people are going to say, look, I, it's my job to sell, and I'm going to sell, you know, and, and it's a numbers game, and, and I'm going to do that. And what those people are going to do is they're going to destroy whatever decent relationships they have. The third group, I think, are people that position themselves as a resource. And if you position yourself as a resource, that always gives you the opportunity to talk about your product. So I think, you know, I want to come out of the pandemic with better relationships with my customers than I had before. And I want to come out with new relationships. Now, in our business, I bet you in the virtual selling arena, we've, we've gotten probably 10 new customers. Mm-hmm. Now, a lot of it's referrals from other people, mm-hmm. you know, but why do I care? Sure. No, that's great. Um, so in the virtual world versus face-to-face, what are some of the top? Um, so you've made the contact. Now you're trying to sell uh, virtually versus in person. What are some of the key uh, skills or changes or things to look for Um in kind of this new world now? Well, I think the first thing you have to do is to ask them how much time do they feel comfortable discussing this with you. So you can have a virtual lunch schedule for an hour, but the main decision maker says they only have 12 minutes or they only have 10 minutes, right? Then Mm -hmm. I need to tailor whatever I was going to do to that time. If Mm -hmm. I don't know what that time is, I could very likely wear out my welcome. So to me, the first thing is to establish the boundaries. The second thing 
is to, you know, do what you would ordinarily do. And if you're really good at selling, you know, you either know something about the customer, you know what they're currently thinking, or you need to discover what they're thinking. And so in either case, you have to individualize, you know, what you're going to do. I'm a big believer that, you know, uh, two things need to be true. Number one, if you're going to be great at selling, number one, the customer needs to believe that you're not biased. Mm-hmm. Now, the easiest way to, to, to convince somebody you're not biased is to say, our, you know, our product's not for everybody. Now, that's a very simple statement. But by the way, show me a product with 100% market share. I mean, Amazon got 100% market share. I mean, that may be the closest thing to it. Um, but, but the reality is, you you got to you got to show that you're not biased. And by the way, your product's not for everybody. You know, I don't care. You know, you, you know what what you look at. If you have a thirty or forty or fifty share, you're probably doing really good. Yeah, uh, sure. That also means that sixty or seventy percent of buying something else. Um, the second thing is you have to get people have to feel like you understand them. Mm-hmm. And you know what's really interesting is uh, I think the the, the rain. Uh, sales training group did a survey recently of 500 buyers and they came to the conclusion that only 23% of salespeople in this virtual environment truly understood them. Now, my my bias is most people stop one question short of true understanding or, or they don't learn. Well, let me go back. Statistics say that customers reveal only 20% of what you're thinking. Okay, I don't care if that's 40%, it still ain't enough. So part of what we do is we teach people, even if we're creating suggested verbiage for them, we insert stop and listen. And then before you say anything, use this phrase. Can you say more about that? Because mm. you, when you can get people to elaborate on what they were thinking. Uh, now, the other thing we teach people is how do you paraphrase? So here's what I hear you say when I hear you say that. I hear you say this. Is that what you meant to say? Because very often what they say and what we hear are not what they meant to convey. And if we don't really understand what they meant to convey, we're going to go down, you know, the, the we ain't going down no yellow brick road. Mm-hmm. We're going to be going down the, the, the highway to hell. <laughs> so, um, I think you got to, you, you, you got to be curious. You got to understand that number one, don't make decisions for other people. Just because someone's difficult to reach and you got a great relationship with them, it doesn't mean they don't want to talk to you. What it means in this pandemic is that they're really, really busy and they don't have time for you yet. So don't give up. Right. The, the second thing is, uh, is to be, to be conscious of their time uh, and don't believe that you can make every sale in one virtual meeting. You know, usually in in complex sales, and, and I, you know, your business, my business, and most of our customers' business is not transactional. You know, it's not like you know when I when I when I go buy underwear, I just you know tell my wife, you know, buy me something from Tommy John, and uh, I'm happy. I mean, well, that that's not you know, I'm not nobody's selling me anything. I'm buying, but complex sales, which to me is anything over a hundred bucks, requires dialogue. And so I think you got to encourage dialogue. You got to try and learn what you what you need. I always say, regardless of where you're selling virtually or whether you're selling live, the question you have to ask yourself before you go in there is, what is it that I don't know that I need to know in mm-hmm. order to advance my position with this customer? And if I can simply find that out, that's progress. 
because most of our sales, you know, 80% of the sales are closed on the fifth try or greater. And so, you know, I don't need to close every sale. What I need to do is could be constantly advancing the sale and or the relationship. And what I have to ask myself at the end of every call is what's the next best thing to do? And then use that to start the next call. Yeah, I love that. And I remember from our last uh, interview that you mentioned that you always ask and teach people to always ask in that initial meeting, will you support me? You know, will you sponsor me, champion me, you know, to the next meeting? Yeah. Uh, And if not, why? You know, let's get that out on the table now. So you save me 50 emails (laughs) follow up that are going to be unanswered, right? Yeah, I always try and give people, I always make it easy, you know, a lot of people say, you know, you got to get them to say yes. I try and make it easy for people to say no. Mm. Mm Because I think when you make it easy for people to say no, so I say, look, here's, so if if I've had an initial call with somebody like I did the other day, I'd say, look, if I had to summarize this meeting, here's what I would say. I would say that you guys believe you got it nailed. You don't really see value in, in, in what we do at mm. this point in time. And so I don't think it makes any sense for us to continue the conversation. Am I right about that? Mm. And if they say, yeah, I think, I think we think we're in a good place. I say, well, that's great. I mean, I'm, I'm happy for you. Um, but if I think we make sense, I mean, like today, I sent somebody a message and I said, have you seen this information? If you have seen this information, look at slide one, four and look at slide six and, and then tell me, uh, whether you think this deserves another conversation. Hmm. I like can that. get yes or no to that. If I get yes to that, then they're probably going to be interested in having a conversation with me. So, um, but I, I think if, 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 if you don't leave a conversation without knowing whether you have alignment or not, you have failed. Yep. I agree. If you don't have alignment, that's fine. I mean, you know, you know, you're, you're as good as it gets. I'm probably not bad myself. You know, do we close every deal? No, Gosh, not everything's a fit, right? Three, four, five, every, every deals at the most. So that means, you know, you know, my old friend, Emery Dupuis used to say, you got to kiss a lot of frogs to get a- <laughs> without a doubt. So as you advance in the sale, um, and you get more C-suite participation. I did a blog post a couple of weeks ago, and I read this article that said the senior executives have discovery fatigue. They don't want to be asked a lot of questions uh, when they get into some of these meetings. What's your view on that? And are there any ways to uh, kind of, you know, change your approach? Or do you change your approach when there's C-suite participation? Well, I think when there's C-suite participation, you're 100% right. They are discovered to death. Uh, And by the way, they probably have as much or more knowledge about the situation than you do. I think if you don't do any discovery, and I think you should probably ask at least one or two questions. Of course. I sure wouldn't ask any more than that. I would go there with a solution. I I would, you know, and and the Challenger teaches this, and I'm not a gigantic fan of the Challenger only Mm -hmm. Nomenclature. I like the ideas, but I mean, rational drowning makes no sense to me. I don't know of anybody who's ever drowned that thought it was rational. And so, uh, you know, I would now what I would say is, what are the negative consequences of not doing business with me? Mm-hmm. So, if I'm talking mm-hmm. to, to a C-suite person, what do I know they want? They want revenue and they want objectives met. Correct. Mm-hmm. I, mm-hmm. I might say, look, talk to me, and I've done this. Talk to me about this one thing. You've got this product. It's really important. Now, this is in my business where I'm teaching people how to actually grow their business. 
you know, you got this product. It's important for you to be successful. Uh, tell me what your, you know, if, you, if you're comfortable, tell me what your forecast is for the next few years. And then tell me uh, what happens if you don't make it. And then let them tell me the negative consequences. And once they say, you know, because the truth is a lot of times people are, are hiring us because they believe we can add some value. But we have to explain what that value is in the C-suite thing in a very succinct manner as about how are we going to help them achieve their objectives. Their objectives, C-suite, is always how do we make our forecast? Uh, how do we reduce expenses? It's all money-oriented. Mm-hmm. Need to be around what value you create that actually impacts the bottom line, or some or efficiency, which also can impact the bottom line. But it's got to be very, very focused on efficiency uh, and economics. Yeah, absolutely. So we were talking a little bit off camera about the kind of view and definition of selling and how important that is uh, today. I'd love for you to to elaborate on that a little bit. Uh, now. Well, I mean, you know, I, I had um, I listened to a series of tapes by a guy named Fred Herman 35 years ago. And, you know, he said, look, you know, if you feel see, I always felt like, you know, selling was a high pressure business and I'm not a high pressure guy. Now, I did it because that is the only way I could make a living. I'd done lousy in school. I couldn't find a job except in sales. And so now, fortunately, I had a really good boss who told me to be authentic. But Fred Herman said that selling is just two things. Selling is teaching and selling is uh, finding out what people want and helping them get it. And he said, now there's two things you need to know about that. One, the average person thinks they know what they want, but they really don't. Mm-hmm. Secondly, if somebody uh, uh, wants what you don't have, you have no right to sell them what they do have. And so I have lived by that philosophy. Now, just recently reading Ron Willingham's book, uh, the inner game of selling, which I highly recommend. He, he talks about view of selling mm. and now his view of selling is the same thing as my definition of selling. But here's the reason it's important. Your beliefs drive your behavior. I did a, a web, a web uh, X yesterday with uh, two people. And they have, uh, I think 30 or 35 insurance agents. And I said, okay, you got 35 insurance agents. How many definitions of selling do you think you have? And they said 35. And I said, okay, all I was saying to you as a business owner, is that really what you want? I mean, don't you want one definition of selling? I mean, if you're wondering why you have these disparate results, it's because you have different people that are behaving differently because their beliefs are different. What you have to do is to get them to believe that selling is one thing. Selling is, you know, and the problem is, you know, um, you've got, you know, so many people who believe that sales, you know, uh, people are the scourge of the earth. And, uh, and if, you know, like you just walk on a car lot, uh, you know, 80% of them, you know, you, you'll leave there needing a shower. And, uh, and so people get a bad name, you know, I, I give you a very simple example. I walk into uh, years ago, I walk into a Staples and I had bought a home and I was looking for uh, a printer because I didn't have a printer. And um, so I walk into Staples, this guy walks up to me, he's 21 years old. And here's what he says to me. Um, uh, Is there anything I can help you look for? He didn't say, how can I help you? He said, is there anything I can help you look for? I said, yeah, I'm looking for a printer. So he takes me to the printers. Now, as he takes me to the printers, Dan, he then walks away. 
And I said, whoa, Bale, whoa, 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 get, get back here. I said, do you know anything about printers? He said, yes, sir, I know a lot about them. I said, okay, if you were me, which one would you buy? He said, well, how are you going to use the printer? And I said, I don't understand your question. I'm going to print. He said, but no, are you going to print photos? I said, I'm not going to print a single photo. He said, well, then these are the two that I would focus on. I said, okay, these two, which one would you buy? He said, I'd buy this one. So I said, put it in the cart. Then he says, well, let me ask you this question. Is your house one story or two? That's a 21-year-old kid. Where does he learn this? And I'm, of course, first thing, because I'm thinking is, why the hell is this guy asking me whether I have a one-story or two-story house? And I said, it's two stories. He said, well, let me ask you this. Do you think you'll ever be upstairs with your computer? Where are you going to put the printer? I said, downstairs. He said, do you think you'd ever be upstairs with the printer and want to actually print downstairs? And I said, yeah. And he said, well, then you need a router. I said, well, what's a router? Because I didn't know what a router was. And he told me, and I said, put it in the cart. And then he said, well, do you have cables for the router? <laughs> you mean the router needs cables? <laughs> Long story short is, I mean, to me, that's great selling. Yeah. Now, I don't know where the kid learned this. Hmm. But now, here's the thing. Had I gone down there and bought what I thought I wanted, I'd have walked out of there with a printer, got home, and I wouldn't have known what the hell to do with mm -hmm. it. Mm -hmm. Now, this kid actually said to me, where do you live? And I told him, he said, that's two miles from here. He said, I'm here till seven o'clock tonight. It was three in the afternoon. You get home and can't put this thing together. You call me, I'll come do it. Wow. Now, and, now the printer was like 149 bucks. The other stuff made it 500. Mm. I make this five, he makes this $500 sale, which was everything I needed and everything mm. I wanted, but I didn't know what I wanted. And so I think great salespeople have got to have the view that they're, what they're, they're doing something with a customer, not to a customer that the less you care about the sale, the more you sell. See, this kid didn't care about the sale. He cared about me getting what was right for me. Mm -hmm. In the process, my guess is, you know, this guy's going to be richer than dirt if he stays in sales. Wow. That's, uh, that's incredible. Yeah, really. And, and it goes to the buying experience also. I mean, that oh, was a yeah. great buying experience. And, you know, how do we, in every sales engagement today, how do we deliver a great buying experience, whether we can help them or not. Uh, right, Jerry? Oh, yeah. I mean, the reality is whether you get it, whether you, whether you, whether they buy from you or not, you want to build a relationship with them because if you build a relationship with them, I mean, I'm a big believer. Look, and to be, to be successful in anything in life, you need two things. Number one, you need to be good at your job. If you're not good at your job, you're not going to be successful. The second thing you better do is you better have a network where that matters. So, you know, I actually created an app called Reallylinked, R-E-A-L-L-Y-L-I-N-K-E-D. It's free. It's on the, you know, it's in the Apple Store and the Google Play Store or whatever. And, but it, it makes it easy for me to stay in touch with people. I mean, I have 14,000 connections on LinkedIn. But the truth is, if you ask me how many of those are crucial to my success, the number's 100. Now, some of those are people like you just talked about. Some people who didn't buy from me. I got a customer now who's probably not only one of my best customers, but my best best friends. It took me nine years to get him to hire me. Hmm. But I but but I but I realized that he and I had a connection, so I stayed in touch with him. Now I didn't bombard him with messages, but at least three or four times a year, I'd reach out to him with an email or a text and see how you're doing. I texted him this morning and, and said, "Hey, here's a candidate for your opening uh, in the Northeast. Um, you ought to take a hard look at her." Mm -hmm. uh, because I'm trying to add value to them. But I think the key is, you know, whether you make a sale or not, ask yourself, did you, did you build a relationship? Did you make that experience positive for that person? I mean, I would follow up some of those with a handwritten note uh, 
and say, look, you know, it was great meeting you. Obviously the timing, you know, isn't right or our product isn't right for you. You know, hopefully we can maintain a relationship in the future. How many of those do you think people get? Yeah, very little. Very and little. You know, what we do now is we default to text, we default to, to you know, email. I think sometimes you ought to just pick up a, you know, piece of paper and pen and write them a note. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> truly differentiate. How yeah. do you, what do you think about social selling today? How important is that? And um, how do you typically leverage it? Uh, candidly, you're asking my opinion and you, you know, opinions are, you know, you know, they're like mouths. We all got one. Uh, I think it's useless. Mm, um, except for LinkedIn. Mm. Okay. LinkedIn. Now Facebook is actually really good. Not for business for me. It's not good for business. Facebook is good. So in case my wife gets sick, I can tell all her friends she's sick. Mm-hmm. Uh, or, you know, my mother-in-law dies or something, you know, I right. but other than that, and it, and, and it's entertaining, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, I, I exercise in the morning on a bike and I, I what I do is I, t- I take my iPad down there and I turn on the watch thing and I just, I just watch comedians. And so <laughs> you know, it has that value. Instagram uh, has turned into a, an advertisement. Uh, mm-hmm. you know, and if you look at, if you look at one leather wallet, you're getting ready over the next three weeks to get seven different companies sending you things. I, I just don't find value in that. I know people like Frank Kern do. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I know that there are people that are making money doing that. I just, I just don't in, in my business. And, and, and I think LinkedIn's important for two reasons. Number one, um, I use LinkedIn. I mean, I, first place I try and post once a week, uh, mm-hmm. you know, because I want people to sort of know what I'm thinking. The second thing, though, is I use LinkedIn probably predominantly as a discovery tool. So if I've got a meeting with somebody that I don't know, I'm going to see check their LinkedIn profile and their Facebook profile and see what I can find out about. Mm-hmm. Now, I can find out, you know, and, and I have found out things where. I mean, I'll give you an example. I just signed a really large contract with a, with a client. And when I checked his, um, his LinkedIn profile, he was connected to somebody that I knew extremely well. And at the end of the call, I said, Hey, you know, and just in looking at your LinkedIn profile, I said, you know, uh, I see that you and I are both connected to this guy. And I said, I'm a little hesitant to, to ask this question because this guy is, you either love him or you don't love him. And he said, well, let me tell you something. I love him. And I said, well, I do too. And I said, but if you want to know anything about me, just call him. And whatever he says, I'll tell you. And then he asked me if I knew somebody else from the same company. And I said, I do. And uh, he said, well, I'm going to call him. And sure enough, about three hours later, that guy called me and said, hey, this guy who's the the person who leads the entire organization called me and said, what do you think of uh, ACOV? And he said, I told him you're the most authentic person I'd ever met. Hmm. I get to your salespeople will learn something and it'll change the course of your business. And so having those relationships is really, really important. Now, the guy that I just told you that said that about me, I haven't done business with him in eight years, Mm. but I've stayed in touch with him. Yeah, I think that's great. Um, Well, we're getting kind of close on time. The last thing I want to ask you is um, there was a, a great report that came out from uh, demand gen report, and it's similar to, I think, the RAIN group, analyzing 
um, what buyers are saying today and how things are changing. 80% said they're wrestling with shifting priorities. So my take on that is that, you know, your discovery process should really be fluid and not just, you know, um, relegated to the beginning or the first meeting because you really need to stay connected and make sure things haven't changed rapidly in a different direction. Um, what's your take on that? And um, how, how would you handle that particular stat? Well, I, I don't think it's any surprise to you or me <laughs> that that's the case. I would say to you that in complex sales, that's the norm. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't think that's, I don't think that's new news. I think that mm-hmm. is, um, that is an, uh, an, an observation of what it's like to actually have to deal with somebody who, who has where you're making a complex sale. Usually it involves multiple people. Mm-hmm. Uh, usually it involves um, not a small decision, but a big decision. Usually right. it, uh, you know, comes with competing priorities and so I think what you have to do is to do exactly what you said, which is to understand these things over time. This is one of the reasons why one of the most important words in our lexicon needs to be currently. Mm-hmm. currently are you currently dealing with this? How have your, you know, currently how have your priorities changed, if at all, versus what when we talked last time? Because I'm a big believer, if you don't know what a person thinks, you can't change what they think. And if you don't go into every interaction with the assumption that something might have changed, then you're probably making a big mistake. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Now, what you don't want it to do is to sound like an FBI interrogation. Right. But I think that's why your point about doing it over time is important because, Mm -hmm. you know, look, if I'm trying to make a decent sale, it doesn't bother me to contact people three or four or five times. Right. You know, they're 30 minute calls, 45 minute calls. And if they lead to something big, because I truly understand the customer and the customer understands me. I tell you a lot of, a lot of times what I do with clients, you know, I have my own virtual selling program, you know, mm-hmm. called Superstar Sales Academy. A lot of times with people, when I talk to them, I say, look, here's what I would do if I were you. I would not hire me <clears throat> until I saw some of what I do. So I'm going to send you my virtual training for free. And if you like me, hire me. If you don't like me, then don't hire me because you know, look, there's a reason why Krispy Kreme gives you a donut before you buy the dozen, <laughs> right? Because they know if you eat that first damn donut, you're going to buy the rest of it. And so I, I'm just a big believer that I'm trying to make it easy for the customer to make a decision. And I don't care what decision they make, whether they make one of me or not. <clears throat> now, the other thing is that if you really want to get credibility is, you know, when you find this out of situation where somebody asked me to come to Dallas and speak to 15 salespeople. Now, I have to tell you, my fee is probably out of their range. Mm-hmm. Uh, <clears throat> and so we had a follow-up call. And right before the follow-up call, I called a really good friend of mine, someone who I just think is wonderful, um, who lives in Dallas. And I knew because he didn't have to travel and he could drive across town that he could probably do it for half of what I did. Mm-hmm. So I called him on the phone and I said, hey, and I knew he'd be as good as me because he's great. And I called him on the phone and I said, hey, are you free this day to do something for this client? Yes. I said, uh, I'm going to, I would charge this. Or is it fair to say that you would be far less than that? He said, yeah, about half that. I said, okay. <clears throat> I said, I'm going to suggest that they call you. Mm. So when they called, the guy called me and he said, okay, let's talk about what we want to do. And I told him, I said, look, are you open to another option? And he said, yeah, what do you mean? I said, look, I, I would not hire me 
I said, first place, you're going to have to pay more than you really need to. Secondly, you're going to have to pay for my expenses. Right. And I would do that if I were you, especially knowing that in your city is somebody who's exceptional. So here's his telephone number. Here's his name. He's free that day, and he'll do it for this price. And if I were you, I'd call him. I wouldn't call me back. Mm-hmm. Now, they called him. They booked the, the gig with him. I never heard from him again, but I don't care. I did <laughs> what I believe selling is. If what they want, you don't have, you got no right to sell them what you do have. Yeah, I love that. Well, Jerry, this has been great as always. Um, how do people find you, uh, track you down? What's the easiest way to get in touch with you um, on easiest social way. or whatever? The easiest way is either jerryacuff.com, which is fairly simple, J-E-R-R-Y, acuff.com. My company website is uh, deltapoint.com. Mm-hmm. It's all one word, D-E-L-T-A-P-O-I-N-T.com. That's it. Great. Well, Jerry, thanks again for coming back. It's always a pleasure. Um, Wish you continued success and good health, and uh, hopefully we'll have you back on real soon. All right, Dan. Thanks. It's great to to be on, and I can't tell you how much I appreciate the exposure. Ah, Great. Good to see you, Jerry. Thank you.